Hello and welcome to this episode of Home Winter History. Yay! <laughs> Yay! I'm Grace. I'm Michelle. And this episode, our theme was island. So we yes. are we still doing places where we have a lot of listeners? So we kind of just went through the list of places that we have listeners, mm-hmm. and we just kind of picked one at random. So island today. They they do have mm-hmm. the same amount of uh, percentage of listeners as Gibraltar. So that's fun. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> we just picked like quite just like interesting places to kind of like research i mean i didn't do a great deal of research into ireland but it was certainly kind of there was a bit that was like oh okay i haven't ever looked into this before but i feel like i should have done yeah and we were gonna do southern ireland but then we both ended up finding people from northern ireland (laughs) yeah yeah well i mean we'll have to do because i uh, when um i was doing my research so i the person that i'm i'm gonna do i kind of i thought of ireland i went to an irish museum and i was like research by this person I was like okay that's who I'm gonna do but then um I realized the other day that uh, I have a book about Irish women that I mm. forgot that I had <laughs> so we'll have to do another episode at some point that is about the Republic of Ireland yes but now I'm starting to worry that it's some weird political stance if we're saying that Northern Ireland is separate from the UK no just well I mean like Scotland England I suppose we're not like grouping the UK or kind of like country I mean when oh is the UK a country or is it like it's a United really Kingdom? Well, I, <laughs> I know what it stands for. Yeah, but that's what it is. Yeah, but but when you like when you, when you have to like list which country you're from, it always says UK. Yeah, except when you're in Scotland, they make you say English. I mean, yeah. I mean, if I was Scottish and like someone English was like, I'm the same as you, I'd be like, no, fuck off, go away. You're different from me. Yeah, true. Yeah, just denounce the English. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> so I'm going first this week. Mm-hmm. And the person I have done, she is called Maraid Maguire. Oh, I like her name. Mm. So she's also known as Maraid Corrigan Maguire or Maraid Corrigan. Okay. So she was born on the 27th of January 1944. Mm-hmm. And she was born into a Roman Catholic community in Belfast in Northern Ireland, which is significant because, you know, the Troubles, I had, I'm going to have to explain the oh, Troubles. yes. But I'm going to do it really simply because I don't know it that well. So it's basically, <laughs> in its simplest form, Protestants versus Catholics, pretty much. Yeah, like they have most s- religious, yeah. yeah. They debate. still have segregated yeah. schools there now. S- seriously? Like, not colour, like, just religion. No, 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 religion, but, yeah. like, I didn't realise that was still a thing. Yeah, when I went, I think it was two years ago, I went on a tour and they told me about it. There, there's a movement Whoa. to try and get them integrated because it's just reinforcing, like, the old issues by having segregated. Yeah. So that's... Well, it's fun fact, the Irish flag, actually, I read about this in a flag book, um, is um, <laughs> to symbolise the Protestants and the, the Catholics and then the white in the middle is like the, the peace between the two. Oh. But I feel like the, the idea that there's like, you know, the two, the orange and the green and then there's the white, but it's like, yeah, but it's meant to be like a middle ground in between the two. But mm. how well people follow that is, yeah. Mm. So obviously she was on the Catholic side, but she doesn't really take a side. She's just... She's She's a peace activist, if I forgot to mention that. I think I did. (laughs) So she's the second of eight children. So she went to a private Catholic school until she was 14, but then her family couldn't afford to pay Mm -hmm. for it anymore, so she had to leave school. And so she started babysitting at the Catholic Community Centre, and she saved enough money to enrol in business classes at Miss Gordon's Commercial Mm -hmm. College, which she then led her to a job as an accounting clerk in a local factory. Nice. Yeah. And she volunteered regularly with the Legion of Mary, which I've never heard of before. 
it's basically like a massive volunteer Catholic organisation. Well, yeah, because Catholic, well, you know, Catholic is obviously like big on Mary, isn't it? That's yeah. their Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Did you say that's their Jesus? Well, like, I know that they're, they're, they're like, <laughs> Jesus is, you know, but like they Mary worship. Mary gave birth to I mean, Jesus. You'll have to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't it like the Catholics are all about like worshipping Mary as the virgin. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know she's a big mother symbol, of christ yeah. rather than like is it like protestants more focus on like jesus yeah i think so <laughs> I, this is come from a standpoint of somebody who yeah religion's a bit in the air yeah but when she volunteered here she um spent her evenings and weekends working with children and visiting inmates at long Kesh prison okay and then when she was 21 she began working as a secretary for guinness brewery you know the famous beer oh nice <laughs> Yeah, I went to the factory. This is where she worked too. (laughs) Yeah, see, I knew it. I went, yeah, I knew it. And she remained employed there until December 1976. Cool. So this is... Oh wow, this is so recent. I know. She's still alive. Oh. Yeah. Well, 1944, not that long ago. I know, but it's it's still like rare that like... We do a live person. We do someone who's alive and I always like forget that like, oh shit, yeah, they... So she became active with the Northern Ireland Peace Movement after her sister and her three children were run over by a car who was driven by Danny Lennon who was a he's part of the PIRA which is the Provisional Irish Republican Army so it's like because there's the IRA and then there's the PIRA one becomes one is more significant than the other don't know which but so he I mean I assume the IRA because that's the one that like is more well known yeah so he was let out of prison he served three years for suspected involvement with the PIRA this Danny Lennon guy Mm -hmm. and then he he was travelling with his accomplice John Chillingworth and then one one of the British troops saw him, he was carrying a rifle, and so he, he was trying to escape, and so he just ran down Maraid's sister and her three children. Shit. But then after this, they did catch him. They managed to shoot him down, and he was killed. Oh, okay. Yep, it's very intense start. Yeah. So it says that the, the car went out of control, and then mounted a pavement, and then that's how he hit them. I don't know. Okay. I mean, it sounds as though, like, he didn't intend to hit them. No, he was just more but... focused on trying to get away he yeah like yeah he still did so the so Anne was with the three children they were out shopping and there was mm-hmm. Joanne who was eight Andrew was six weeks old and John oh. who was two and oh. so Joanne and Andrew died at the scene and then John he was taken to hospital but then died the next day but Anne survived whoa oh that's kind of horrible oh, yeah yeah. And so a woman who had witnessed this called Betty Williams, she ends up partnering with Maraid and they, they start gathering signatures for a peace petition from Protestants and Catholics. And they were able okay. to assemble 200 women to march for peace in Belfast. Whoa. Yeah. So the march passed near the home of her and... Wait. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so they, they did another march after this to the burial sites of the three children. Okay. And they got 10,000 Protestant and Catholic women together in this. Whoa, shit. But then the marchers were physically attacked by PIRA members. Right. Yeah, it's not, it's not great. No. But then by the end of the month, this is... I think this is all August. Mm-hmm. It never says the year, so sometime in the 70s, I think. Okay. <laughs> 
So by the end of the month, she and Betty Williams, they brought 35,000 people onto the streets of Belfast to petition for peace. Mm -hmm. And so they initially called it the Women for Peace movement, but then they changed it to a more gender neutral name of Community for Peace People or Peace People. I like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then a someone from the Irish press, she wanted to end the violence through non-violence yeah and she wanted to do it through like re-educating people rather than just yeah that makes sense yeah so they organized a a bi-weekly paper called peace by peace nice good name Mm -hmm. and they provided for families um, of prisoners a bus service to visit them to in jail that's quite nice yeah. And then in 1977, her and Betty Williams mm. received the 1976 Nobel Peace Prize for their Whoa. efforts. Mm. What? That's brilliant. Yeah, so she was 32 at the time. And then... She, oh my god. She was the youngest Nobel Peace Prize laureate until Malala came along and she got yeah. it. <laughs> That's a huge gap of age. Like... Mm. Whoa. Also, like, they're just so young to... Mm-hmm. And so she did actually... She decided to keep the prize money, which angered many people. What? What? Because, like... What else was she supposed to do with it? I don't like, donate it. Oh, I mean... But I'd say you could argue mm. that if she keeps it, then she can keep, like, fighting things that wouldn't necessarily, like, earn her money. She can just use that money yeah. to continue doing that, so... Yeah. I mean, like, it's like, I don't know, like, people say, like, oh, well, if you're a charity you shouldn't keep any of the money or oh if you're this it's like yeah but you still need to keep those organizations going Mm. in order to help other people it's just like yeah i mean i suppose it depends what the money was on true so her partner betty williams she resigned from peace people in 1980 but then she kept it going and she still does it to this day and she's a group's honorary president but she she does focus more on like global issues which i will go into more later but then also in 1980 her sister killed herself because she obviously was very depressed after her children had died oh yeah understandable yeah but then weirdly a year and a half later she marries her husband her sister's widow that that idea feels like reserved to like tv shows but if you get what i mean mm-hmm. so whenever i see it like actually have them like oh that's okay yeah a weird way to get through your collective grief mm-hmm. so she has three stepchildren and then she had two children of her own with he's called Jackie oh. Maguire, which is where she got her last name from. So wait, her stepchildren would be her niece and nephews. Yeah. So the when her children are born, they will simultaneously be siblings and cousins. That's a weird concept. It's really weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway. So this is my issue with the with her so she is apparently Mm. a member of the anti-abortion group consistent life ethic right which is against abortion capital punishment and euthanasia i can get Uh, behind capital punishment i I get that's it yeah (laughs) (laughs) i i I get why like she would be opposed to all of them because she is i mean in the same way i i understand yeah yeah and i understand that you know God giveth, li- giveth life, God taketh life away. And mm-hmm. I understand that all conception is, you know, in quotes, a miracle in the eyes of the Lord. Like, I, I get that. I, I you know, mm-hmm. but I, I disagree. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, see. She does basically, I'm going to jump around a lot because it's just all over the place. And I'm just sort of going to stick with countries to go with okay. what she does. Cause she, she does so many things. 
Okay. So, in 2003, she was selected to serve on the honorary board of the International Coalition for the Decade, which oh. it was basically, it was to promote the United Nations 1998 vision of the first decade of the 21st century as the international decade for the promotion of cultural peace and non-violence for children of the world. <laughs> That's a mouthful. Okay. <laughs> I feel like like you were like she did this. I'm like, what's that? You're like, well, it's this. I'm like, okay, but that doesn't explain. You're like, peace for children. I'm like, okay, yeah, okay, we get it now. Yeah, I had to that do so sense. many extra research for this one <laughs> because of the topic she does. I'm like, I have a vague knowledge, but not much. Okay. And then in 2006, she was one of the founders of the Noble Women's Initiative, which I should have looked what that cool. was. So it's just it's basically it was created by six Nobel Peace Prize laureates, and they just promote peace for women and for them to like continue to do that throughout the world but this okay the, the six women each they represent north south america europe middle east and africa okay that's really cool yeah and I, that'd be a fantastic like discussion circle mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and so they wanted to help strengthen work being done in support of women's rights around the world nice yeah so this was something i knew absolutely nothing about so mm-hmm. there's a person she, called Chelsea Manning who she worked for the US Army and leaked a load of information to WikiLeaks about like all the stuff that was going on in Afghanistan and Iraq at the time and she was she was like Mm court-martialed and she was because she just wanted to reveal that like they weren't doing great things and so she just spread it to the world and so Maraid was in support of her even though she does misgender her because she was she's trans and she does call her a he but yeah you know yeah yeah she she she, along with Desmond Tutu and Adolfo Perez Esquivel they all published a letter in support of her saying that even though she became like a whistleblower they were driven by the foremost for the desire to tell the truth and just like to protect the the sufferings of innocent civilians and soldiers. Yeah, that makes, yeah. So she does a lot of work with inter, interfaiths, so like lots of different faiths around the world. Mm-hmm. She was a massive critic of the US and British policies in the Middle East with like the Iraq and Afghanistan things. Yep. So she was, she was invited to a 2012 Nobel summit in Chicago, but she changed her mind mm-hmm. last minute because it was run by the US State Department and she... <gasps> was she said and to me the nobel peace laureate should not be hosted by a state department that is continuing with war removing basic civil liberties and human rights and international law and then talking about peace to young people that's a double standard i do i yes Mm -hmm. i yes i yeah i i agree with those words Mm -hmm. and so she campaigned and she protests a lot regarding the americans response to the 9-11 attacks by al-qaeda so she i don't quite know why it was in india but in India she had hundreds of thousands of people walking in peace with her but then she did it again in New York which included the families of 9-11 victims as well whoa and then she spoke at a conference in Ireland and she pleaded that the Irish government completely opposes the Iraq war because it's like wrong and immoral and it's it's not going to achieve anything yeah which I don't think they did but she tried and then (laughs) (laughs) she did a 30-day vigil and began a 40-day liquid fast outside the White House joined by members of Pax Christi USA and Christian church leaders Ooh. and this was all against them fighting in Iraq and yeah. she she said that daily we sit facing Mecca in sol- solidarity with our Muslim brothers and sisters in Iraq and we ask Allah for forgiveness oh because I was, I was quite worried that you're gonna be like when she like speaks to other religions and like things that it would still be kind of like laced with those kind of like 
Catholic. I was worried about um, the end. But it's not. Undertones. But no, perfect. Like, I almost agree with the majority of everything she's saying. Other than the <laughs> it's abortion. Like, it's just, yeah. Other than that. Yeah. <laughs> abortion and, yeah, and euthanasia. And you're like, oh, yeah. but other than that, I can kind of, yeah. Mm. And she, in 2006, she said that George Bush and Tony Blair should be made accountable for illegally taking the world to war and for war crimes against humanity. Which, yes. Mm-hmm. She then, she wasn't very happy when Barack Obama won the 2009 Nobel Peace Prize. Be- I I can't, yeah, I kind of see her reasoning with that. Yeah, the war was yeah. still going on. Yeah, so the idea of winning a peace prize mm-hmm. when you're still funding a war. Yeah, yeah and that's basically what she said. And she, she was arrested a few times in America for protesting, and then they they just didn't like it when she came in because she'd never take that she had criminal activity in her past, even though, according to them, she does. But she was just protesting, so... Oh, I, I always find it really weird when, like, when people get arrested for protesting or kind of like that and then that has to kind of go on their criminal record yeah because i don't know it's like to say you have a criminal record is such a broad statement Mm -hmm. and like someone said to me like i have a criminal record but it's in protesting i'd be like that's like the opposite of a criminal record to me that's like an alleviation record well if it's you know a good kind of protesting but like yeah so now i'm going to move over to israel because she (laughs) (laughs) okay Fantastic. So she first first visited in 1984 when she was 40, and she went mm-hmm. then as part of an interfaith initiative, which was seeking forgiveness from the Jews for years of persecution from Christians in Jesus's name. Whoa! I know. Brilliant. Okay. And then she comes back again in June of 2000, mm-hmm. um, and she's uh, invited by the Rabbis for Human Rights and the Israeli Committee Against House Demolitions, or is it in response to this? Um, so this is, like, mostly to do with the Israeli and Palestine conflict, which I don't know huge amounts about, because it's very complicated. But, so she was a big supporter of this guy called Mordechai Vanunu, who, mm-hmm. he was an Is- Israeli nuclear technician, and he revealed details of the nuclear defense program to the British press in 1986 okay and so he was arrested for 18 years for for treason mm-hmm. but it was in like in aid of peace because he could see what was going to do he was, um, yeah which is why she did it and she flew she then flew back to Israel in 2004 when he was released mm-hmm. to sort of celebrate this and because he wasn't he's not allowed to leave the country he's he's not allowed to talk to foreign journalists he's got loads of conditions that he's like his freedom is allowed and she's she just comments that he's he's a prisoner still in his own country yeah which is not wrong Mm. Mm -hmm. and she praised him as a man of peace a great visionary a true gandhian spirit and compared his actions to those of alfred nobel which wow minor tangent do you know why alfred nobel created the nobel prize i know a reason but i don't know like how accurate it is is it because he also invented dynamite and then he wanted something better for his name to be associated with close i'm not sure i don't know if it it was dynamite he did something but it's very industrial heavy Mm. so basically it was there was a misinformation and his obituary was published in the newspaper whilst he was still alive and he read it and was like i don't want to be remembered for this there's nothing to be proud of 
So he created the Nobel Prize so he could have something a lot better to be remembered for. And that's why we know it. Fair enough. Yeah. Which it worked. Like, hats off to the guy. Had a plan, sorted it out, worked. Mm -hmm. So at this same press conference in 2004 when Vanunu was released, she compares the, like, the nuclear weapons to a Nazi concentration camp. Right. So she, she says that nuclear weapons are only gas chambers perfected and for a people who already know that gas chambers are, know what gas chambers are, how can you even think of building perfect gas chambers? Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I wonder where that was going, but yeah. yeah. And so they built a wall to separate, I think, Palestine and Israel. And she said yeah. this was a moment to fear and failed politics. Um, mm-hmm. And she was protesting this. It was held in a, a no-access military zone. And the Israeli forces used tear gas grenades and rubber-coated bullets to disperse the protesters. And while she was there, she got hit in the leg with a rubber bullet and she was... She inhaled, like, large quantities of tear gas. So she was taken to hospital. And then she was also... She came back in 2009 where she was taking relief to parts of... To aid Gaza Strip. Not... Because it was something that was being... A place that was being really affected by the conflict that was going on. And she was... It was just humanitarian Mm. aid that was in the ship that she was in, but she mm-hmm. was taken into custody. They, like, got on the boat. It was in inter- international waters, so they had nothing protecting them. They could have, like, outright killed them. She was kept in custody and then deported back to Dublin in 2009. And she was very openly critical of all the other countries who were complete being completely silent on this conflict, having nothing to do with it. And then in 2010, she came back to Israel as part of the... Nobel Women's Initiative, but mm. she was refused entry because she'd had the issue with the embargo, so she wasn't allowed yeah. in. They filed a lawsuit, she still wasn't allowed in. Deported again. Cool. <laughs> and then in 2009, she went to New York to serve on a Russell Tribunal, which mm-hmm. I wasn't... Do you know what this is? I wasn't sure what this was. So it's... No, I've heard of it, but... It's named after Bertrand Russell, the mm-hmm. philosopher and writer, and it's basically like a group of people and they all discuss an issue that's going on oh. like of significance so like the people who were there was alice walker and angela davis and cynthia mckinney and pink floyd's roger waters oh we're all just dis- that's uh it's odd <laughs> that's an interesting crowd yeah so they were all discussing this issue and she bought the very like taboo thing of why barack obama allows israel to threaten iran with war when Iran had signed the the NPT, which is the no nuclear weapons like signature, and Israel has at least two hundred nuclear weapons. And why does mm-hmm. the president not deem that Israel signed the NPT as well? Which you know, no one, I mean, everyone was too afraid to say. And she said it. I suppose as well though is like, why would America have? Why would he make them do that? If you know what I mean? Yeah. If it's not like. Yeah. It's like, some of the stuff, it's hard to say what happened with it because there's obviously other factors than her protesting. So, like, I can't really say that, you know, because of this, this happened. It doesn't Mm -hmm. really work like that. And they're all quite, like, all of these, they're all very kind of, I don't know how to explain it, but, like, long-standing, so much background into it, if you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. that almost all of these areas I'm like even I'm like I'm not educated enough to have a definitive answer of what was happening Mm -hmm. so she she wrote a book which was called The Vision of Peace Faith and Hope in Northern Ireland and it's it's a big collection of essays and letters 
where she just discusses her political activities and her faith. It's mostly about Northern Ireland, but she does go into like the Holocaust and India and all the other places that she's been. And uh, she sort of defines her beliefs that she thinks that violence is a disease that humans develop but are not born with. And she thinks that humankind is moving away from a mindset of violence and war and evolving to a higher consciousness of non-violence and love, which is a tad optimistic, but I appreciate the effort. Yeah, I said I would. We're not amidst a world war, but I do think that like violence and hate are still prevalent, yeah. but just in more kind of rather than like you know, it's not like this country against that country so much, or like one person who wants to kind of take over the world. It's more like subtle things, like countries' laws which oppress people, you know what I mean? But like subtly. So it's not always subtly, obviously, but um, yeah. yeah. It's still, yeah. I, yeah. But it is nice to think that we are um, in a more loving time. Mm. And so she was awarded lots of honorary degrees by like universities all over the world and many awards. And I'm just going to name one of them because it sounds important. Okay. <laughs> It's the Nuclear Age Peace Foundation honoured her with the Distinguished Peace Leadership Award in 1992 for her moral leadership and steadfast commitment to social justice and non-violence. Nice. Yeah. That does sound very important. Yeah. And that that's Mairead Maguire. Oh, round of applause. I'd say, like, I expected, because you were like, I liked her, and then I didn't, and I was like, oh, I expected it to be on the on the surface, you like what she did, but then it was all kind of mm. fueled by this corruptness. But actually, like, other than that kind of, like, not respecting women's bodies, but mm. other than that, I kind of, yeah. Mm, pretty good person. Just for peace. I'd say it's interesting to see kind of, you know, to do with things like the pr- police brutality in America and kind of all that awfulness that's kind of going on at the moment. Mm. she having a voice about that? Because if she's still alive, I imagine she's still kind of doing stuff. I didn't find anything about her from, like, past the 2010s, so... Ooh. I mean, to be fair, that's what? She's, like, 70? Yeah. 80 now, almost? Maybe she so, retired. to be fair, yeah, it is... That's a long time yeah. to but be... Maybe she is, and I just yeah. didn't see it. I don't know. Blimey. And I'd never heard of her, which is... Me neither. I don't know. Yeah. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> Shall we take a break? Yeah. Okay. Hey, Karina, do you want to hear an interesting new fact about sloths? Impossible, Cassie. I know all there is to know about sloths. They spend their whole lives eating and sleeping, and that's living the dream in my book. I bet you don't know this fact. Fine. Surprise me. Sloths are surprisingly fast and skilled swimmers. They can move three times faster in water than they ever can on land. Suddenly, I love them even more. Where can I possibly learn more exciting and interesting facts about sloths? Well, we did do an entire episode on sloths for CritterCast. Right! CritterCast, our comedic animal-themed podcast. It's the show where we talk about all kinds of animals and why we love them. We upload new episodes twice a month on every second and fourth Sunday. Just in time for your Monday morning commute. You can find CritterCast on iTunes, Spotify, and many other podcast streaming apps. Plus, check out our website, CritterCastPodcast.com, for links to all of our social media and for more fun facts and adorable photos of critters big and small. CritterCast Podcast. Welcome back. Hello. Now it's your turn. It is. So the person that I have done is Mary Mallon. Never heard of them. Nope. Lovely. You might when I continue, because I speak about her a fair bit. So she was born in September 23rd, um, 1869 mm-hmm. in Cookstown in County Tyrone, which is now Northern mm-hmm. Ireland, but then wasn't because 
the partition of Ireland was like, what, 1912? Which was an interesting read. <laughs> Not really relevant, but it was an interesting read. There's nothing really known about her childhood. There's no information about who her parents were, if she had any siblings, nothing. Except from then, when she was 15, she went to, she moved to the US to move, to live with her aunt and her uncle. Mm. And there she got a job as a domestic servant and then like worked her way up to be a cook in 1900. Mm-hmm. Mainly in New York and for some reason it's kind of relevant but her signature dish as a cook was peach ice cream i don't know why that's relevant but it's a notable (laughs) fact so back then kind of two million americans worked as domestic workers and then being a cook was kind of like one of the top like roles in this so she was able to actually like manage the kitchen and the like kitchen staff she bought the supplies so it was like a a big deal to kind of had have this position Mm -hmm. and she worked in a few different households from 1900 to 1907 Mm -hmm. so there was eight households in that time and Every single one of them became sick. Wow. Was it yeah. coronavirus? So in nine, it wasn't. <laughs> but when I was researching this, I was like, ooh, contagion. I was like, it's a really bad time to get interested in contagion. Mm-hmm. But also so many things have kind of then like revisited this story because of what's happening mm-hmm. at the moment. So people have kind of got interested in contagious and then found this person again and, and, and written loads about her. So in 1900, she was working at a house in Mamorona. I think it's pronounced mm-hmm. and then two weeks into her employment residents got typhoid wow so she just left <laughs> she was like okay you're sick I'm <laughs> out so then in 1901 she went to work in Manhattan where the people of that house very soon after she started working there developed high fevers diarrhea and then one of them died is she spreading it so she just left (laughs) so then she went to work for a lawyer it didn't say where this was where seven out of the eight people in the house got ill (laughs) this is really like is this a coincidence or not it's not a coincidence no she got up and left again she believed all of this was a coincidence she was like people just keep dying so then in in 1904 she was then hired by another lawyer and within a week a staff member got typhoid and another four members of staff also got ill interesting does she have an immunity to it and she's passing it on well asymptomatic carriers of diseases weren't a thing then like they didn't Ah. know that so yeah but none of the family in this household were ill but they resided separately Mm. so they kind of they were like right the family aren't getting ill the the servants are so it must be something that's airborne so they looked to the kind of the first servant who was a laundress who had been the first person to kind of contract this illness and they were like well it must have been you who's brought it into this house and has then spread it through the people because if you have something you have to be obviously affected Mm -hmm. by it so mary kind of just up and left again because she was like okay it's nothing to do with me it's the laundress i'm gone so two weeks later she went to work in a house in tuxedo park and then two weeks into her employment there the laundress there got infected and was rushed to hospital Mm. and so mary left that house as well my goodness this is so relevant (laughs) she must think she's yeah the most unlucky person ever so in august 1906 mary then took a position in long island uh, with a wealthy banker in the space of eight days six out of 11 people who lived in that household got typhoid now it was it was unusual for the area to have so many cases Mm. like those doctors working in the area and they were like we don't understand why this is happening but also so this household was actually the family who were living there i don't think owned it he was actually like owned by this Mm -hmm. other guy and then he was just renting it out and so the landlord realized that 
if it kind of got announced that the house, his house, had typhoid, he'd never be able to rent it out yeah. again. So he looked into hiring some experts to kind of work out what was going, going wrong. Truth. And they took samples from the pipes, from the faucets, from the toilets, from the cesspool, and they, they were all negative for typhoid. Mm-hmm. So, like, hmm. So Mary just moved out from there as well. And then moved on to somewhere else where she got hired on Park Avenue by this guy called Walter Bowen. And then in January then, afterwards, so not long after she moved there, the maid got sick and the daughter of the previous house she'd been working in then died. Mm. So the guy who'd been her previous employer, Charles Warren, whose obviously daughter had just died, hired an investigator because he was like, something's going on, my daughter's mm-hmm. died, I want it figuring out. And as well, it was strange that, like, in quotes, well-to-do families were getting mm-hmm. sick. So they hired this guy to investigate it who was called Soper, I think his name. And he found, obviously, that the common denominator through all of these different households that were getting mm-hmm. sick was the fact that this one cook had been working in every single one of them. Mm-hmm. So Mary had ordered to go down, but she was delivering food to her friend's house, so then they were able to find out who she mm-hmm. was and Soper kind of met her in the kitchen and was like, j'accuse. So he kind of basically said, I think that you are giving people this disease. Mm. He said that he presented this news as diplomatic as possible, but whatever happened in that conversation, it led to her threatening him with a carving knife. She could have just carved um, him. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, so I've got a bit of information about typhoid later, which we'll get to. So Mary said that she, she refused, she had nothing to do with the case. Mm. She also refused to give any samples which is, you know, pretty coincidental. Soper kind of just looked into her last five years of employment and kind of said that there was a striking coincidence that all of the families, other than one that she'd ever been employed by, got typhoid. So um, they eventually trapped... You'd notice after, like, three or four that this is no longer a coincidence. (laughs) Like, I... I'd love to know what kind of went on in her head that she was like, this keeps happening. Because you just thought people died all the time. It's just, yeah. But she was, like, aware of, like, typhoid. I mean, if this was, like, like, what, four or five hundred years earlier, she'd definitely be done for a witch. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) But as well, because she said that there was, like, a general outbreak of typhoid at the time, which there was, but in unhygienic areas. Mm. Which is awful to say, but, like, she was working in middle to upper class households. They were hygienic households. That's why they found it weird. Yeah. <laughs> so she was convinced it wasn't her. She wasn't sick. She just said it was a general outbreak and she couldn't be held accountable. But Soper was convinced that she was, you know, definitely guilty. Um, so he got in touch with the health department of New York City and she was arrested as a public threat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. She was forced into an ambulance and restrained and taken to a hospital a where samples were forcibly taken from her. As in, like, I think at one point they didn't let her go to the toilet for four days unless she had someone with her. And there they would then take stool and urine samples oh from her. Oh, God. Yeah. I think as well... Oh, no, she's later. And when they took these samples, they found a fuckton of typhoid basically within her, mm-hmm. which is... Uh, un- I thought typhoid was pretty... Not very shocking. Deadly. It kind of is. Wait, is typhoid so, the blood? Right. Or is it just... So typhoid is bacterial. Oh, okay. And it's found... Yeah, so it's, it's basically if you ingest 
any sort of trace mm-hmm. of feces or urine mm. that's how you come down with it which is why then it's kind of associated with like unhygienic mm. households it's what it's like uh yeah what prince albert died of because yeah. he was obviously drinking water that was from the thames like mm-hmm. when plumbing was a bit up in the air now we we just treat it with antibiotics mm. um you can still like get really really ill from it and i think it said like one one in five people who got it or get it, like pass away from it so it's it's still like a very very serious disease but in england it's not yeah. a serious disease anymore but in other places um it's it's still yeah. because obviously they have poor access to sanitation but because like germ theory wasn't accepted mm-hmm. then because they were they like doctors were like we have this thing it's called germs be hygienic and germs won't kill you and the common person went eh, it seems like false news mary's was one of those common people she didn't believe in washing her hands <laughs> oh my god this is literally like probably how coronavirus virus spread i mean yeah mm. maybe not with one person but with many people doing the same thing they asked mary about her hygiene and she said she's never washed her hands a day in her life so that's basically how it was um spreading so in march 19th 1907 she was sentenced to quarantine on north brother island Mm. so north brother island is I find it a fascinating idea. Is it the cannibal So it was not quite, no. So in 1855, uh, the place was basically just a hospital. It was an island off the coast of New York and it was basically there to treat smallpox. So it was, yeah, but it was like for quarantining because obviously smallpox was contagious. Mm -hmm. So you just sent patients there, you would recover, you'd be sent back so that you you didn't have a spread. I think they did this in Hawaii. Um, There's like um, an island... Uh, for leprosy is in one of the yes yeah the mortician videos yes it's also in um the podcast this podcast will kill you oh i haven't seen that i'll listen that was a very good one yes uh, very good it's it's two women and they just talk about um diseases it's brilliant Amazing. but then this island kind of adapted and then you just basically got sent for any disease that you needed to be quarantined with mm-hmm. so then kind of after it was kind of done doing that the final bit they kind of opened it for was for tuberculosis Mm. but when they then developed a vaccine for tuberculosis in 1945 the place then closed it was then kind of reopened after world war ii as a rehabilitation center for drug addicts Mm. where they would be locked up until they were clean but then yeah that's corrupt and the cost meant it had to close down um, then it was discussed whether they were going to reopen it as homing for homeless people or whether they were just going to make an extension to Rikers Prison. Oh my goodness. Which is, yeah, but neither of those two happens and now it's a bird sanctuary. Anyway, so that was where Mary was sent to. She was deeply unhappy about this, as you can probably imagine mm-hmm. and while while she was there Soper wrote a book about oh her God. and yeah she was the first asymptomatic well proven asymptomatic patient oh. so she kind of revolutionary and that's why he was writing a book about her because it was just unheard of that you could have somebody who had a disease but not have symptoms of it which must be terrifying was so be dangerous for, yeah because you're like i suppose it would have sent people into a mass panic that at any point you could be carrying yeah. any disease i mean we're kind of yeah. in that in the minute um, in like you can be carrying corona and not know it yeah i said that's like one of the main reasons you're wearing masks at the yeah. moment is so that yes so that you can't contract anything but the main reason is so that you can't give anything to other people which is why people are kicking up such a fuss because they're like i obviously don't have it i don't have the mm. symptoms it's like you can still give it to people yeah, yeah it 
It's infuriating, but that's what was happening. So, Sopor wrote a book about her and in the book called her Typhoid Mary. Oh, I've heard of this. Yes. She hated this nickname. She hated him. He said, <laughs> so he told her he'd written this book and he was like, I've written this book about you, Mary. I've called you Typhoid Mary in it, but it's all okay. No hard feelings because I will give you all of the royalties of this book. <laughs> and she was like, fuck you, leave. Did she um, get the money though? So I don't actually think she got any. I don't think oh. so. I assume from that response, he was like, oh, okay then. And... A lot of other people kind of in the field of like disease and contagion at the time also kind of disagreed with the way she was being treated Mm. and said that a forced quarantine was not ethical and that they should just treat her. Yeah, why did they not? Which isn't... (laughs) Yeah, I think they were like trying to treat her, but the treatment they were using just wasn't... I suppose because it was like early, they didn't have like antibiotics that we do now, so they, they didn't quite know how to treat her. But basically they put her on, I read a lot of the medicines, but I don't understand a lot of medicines, so I don't well, I understand guess a lot what they were doing. they'd find it, because if she doesn't have the actual symptoms, and she's not showing anything obvious from the disease, other than the fact that she has it, like, because they've tested her. In her. You like, would yeah. you really treat her for that? Yeah. I suppose because at the time we were just kind of treating people for symptoms rather than for... Mm diseases yeah but they kind of put her on like medication that was if like she was on it for too long would shut down her kidneys and because they just kind of weren't sure what they were doing and and she spoke out about it she had a mental breakdown while she was okay. there and she said that she'd been treated like a guinea pig while she was in there which she mm. which, you know wasn't wrong and at one point she tried to sue the health department of new york but like loads of people were like where did she even get the money to do that mm. and but she lost anyway so but um Throughout all of her time there, she claimed that she did. St- she still did not have typhoid. She uh, and eventually she got her friend to, I assume, like shit in the cup, mm-hmm. and then gave that as her stool. And then it was proven that she didn't have typhoid anymore, so that she could be released. Did it work? Um, yeah. After two years and eleven months, she was then released on the condition that she never was a cook again, mm-hmm. and that she tried to just start washing her hands or agreeing to some kind of hygiene she agreed to this she signed like the legal documentation that said she agreed to this and then she was let mm-hmm. go she had to get a job when she left and she ended up working at a la- as a laundress mm-hmm. but like the pay was shit and it was an awful yeah. job so she was only like 20 dollars a month instead of 50 i mean like she worked her way um, up to to being a cook and like imagine being like you yeah can't do that anymore. like that's yeah and she she'd always said like she'd had a passion mm-hmm. for it like growing up so it, it's like awful and then she got at one point it didn't say how but she got like a wound on her arm and then that got infected Mm. i assume because she still fucking wasn't washing (laughs) but then it meant she couldn't work for six months so she had like nothing yeah so when she kind of got like relatively better again she took up cooking (laughs) oh this isn't gonna go well No, so she got she used a f- bunch of fake names because basically she knew that what she was doing was illegal and if she got caught she'd be sent back to the quarantine yeah. island. So she took many, 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 many jobs as well so that she wouldn't have to stay in one place for a long time <laughs> so that she had, you know, a lot of income. So she worked at upscale family homes, at restaurants, at hotels, at spas. <laughs> oh, um, and wherever she worked, typhoid soon followed. Oh, goodness. She just doesn't learn, does she? I, know. I mean, honestly, this is like, like highlights the importance of education, if anything. So much, yeah. Like, if she just understood, like, just gym. wash your fucking hands. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, I don't know. I've, I've, when reading a lot of this, I'm like, it's because it's what 
the early 1900s, germ theory is relatively new. And I'm like, yeah, but there are still people today who are not washing their fucking hands. Yes. Like, how you're provided with, like, clean water in this country. Mm. Just fucking use it. Like, rah. Anyway. So in 1915, uh, she was working at a hospital in New York and t- where 25 people got infected and two people died of typhoid. The doctor there was like panicked <laughs> and like didn't know what to do. So he called um, Sopa and was like, come help me. All my patients have got typhoid. I don't know what to do. And Sopa basically like walked in, chatted to a few of the servants and was like, yeah, yeah, I've seen this Did before. He see I know Mary? what's happened. Well, she wasn't working there at this um, point because she like left places oh, yeah. so often. But he basically, and as well, I think there was like something that had her handwriting mm. on and Sopa like took one look and was like, yeah, that's my old friend Mary. So she was on the run, but not very well because she got found again and was then sent again to quarantine at North Brother Island. But this time, just with no chance of of kind of being let out as well it was kind of confusing so there was a doctor who was working um on this island called josephine baker not the singer <laughs> not the singer but i was like oh i really hope that that is the singer and this was just like something else she did <laughs> sidelined that i missed out from my research before but this jo- this other josephine baker she was i think her family had had typhoid and had died from it or really suffered mm. from it and so she was a huge advocate for like being hygienic and then in comes this like mary who like refuses to wash her hands because you know the dirt makes the food taste better so i imagine she was pretty pissed so mary was this time quarantined quarantined for 23 years and she was there so long they gave her a little cottage on the island (laughs) so that she could live there and uh, she would take day trips to the mainland and she even got a she got a job on the island and i don't know how accurate this is because so there was a a doctor who was also working the island a different doctor who was like training like i don't quite know what they were doing but basically they like used to pay mary to help clean their equipment what how does that make i read this in the (laughs) i know i read this and i was like wait there's got to be more about this information there was there was Mm -hmm. nothing it was just yeah she paid mary mary would like clean conical flasks and like take care of samples i was like why the fuck would you trust maybe they're like as long as you wear these to clean clothes, anything use very very strong things <laughs> yeah oh but yeah and then in 1932 she suffered from a stroke that left half of her body completely paralyzed mm. and then she died six years later in 1938 of pneumonia um, at aged 69 she was cremated nine people attended her funeral mm. i know so no exact numbers of how many people she kind of d- caused the death mm. of because she changed her name so much, because she refused to cooperate, she never said how many different places she'd been working. It means that there's no chance to know. But it's estimated that it could be around 50 people Whoa. died. It's like, I kind of get it yeah. from her side that she's just like, to her, typhoid is a sign of like uncleanliness. And like she doesn't yeah. view herself as unclean. But And it's just complete lack of education. <laughs> But then, like, the other side, she's a genuine, genuine health risk. People are dying because of her. Yeah, like... Uh, but then... Like, I kind of get it up, up to the point where she lies in order to get out of quarantine and then goes back to doing something she's legally been told not to do anymore. Yeah, especially like, when you know it kills people. To that point, you're then a dick. Yeah. Because you know you're a threat. Like, d- did she genuinely believe they were making it up? That... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people's, people still believe the Earth is flat. That so, is true. Like... 
We're doomed. The, do not underestimate the stupidity of people. But yeah. But the ethics of her treatment in the on um, North Border Island are like still being debated mm. because she was forcibly quarantined and forcibly isolated. I think, I'm not sure how accurate this was, the only thing that she had as a companion whilst in this place was a, a terrier. At least she got something. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but yeah... But that that is typhoid Mary, and she w- it was really because um I went to the um, immigration mu- museum when I went to mm-hmm. Ireland, and they had like loads of people, fantastic museum, loads of people who had emigrated from Ireland and what had happened to them, and then it was like people who weren't so good, and so there was like Anne Bonny, mm-hmm. and there was like typhoid Mary, and it was like the room, and I was like I know who they are, and they are, and they are, <laughs> and they are. My sister was like, you knew nobody in the previous section but you know all about these people. And I was like, yes, yes, but I find them interesting. They are interesting. They are. And I can just imagine, I don't know, this woman that's just like, can you not like piss in your your hands and then like cook with them? And she's like, why? Just just please don't do that. But that is typhoid Mary. That was really good. Thank you. Very applicable to the current Um, climate. Very, very. And I'm hoping if... Anybody listens and even just realises that, ah, maybe I won't get ill, but I could potentially kill other people yeah. by my own stupidity. I feel like and changes their our ways. audience are somewhat more educated. They- yeah, that's, <laughs> that's very valid, yeah. And the, yeah. the people who need to oh, be know, like, well, um, <laughs> Yeah. Well, it was even like today, because I was talking to somebody and they were saying like, oh, it's the young'uns going to the pubs that are causing it. And I'm like, well, that won't help. But also like the amount of people I've just seen coming into the stores of all ages and are still wearing their mask, like, as a beard snoot. Yeah. It's, yeah. And old people are going to the pubs as well. I know. And, like, even, like, even, like, my own grandma was like, oh, I can give you a hug. It's okay. It's just me. I'm like, if everybody around the country (laughs) said that, that's why we're in this situation, grandma. But do you have a recommendation of the episode? Do you, you go first and I'll think. <laughs> you know, I always get panicked, but this week I actually do have one prepared. I'm currently reading um, Women Do Not Owe You Pretty Ooh. by Florence Given. Have you no. heard of it? No. I don't think I have the book up here, which is really sad. Oh, I do. It's right behind me. One sec. I'm sitting on it. Here it is. Very, very pretty book. I realise this won't help people who listen. But it's basically... Oh, how do It like... It challenges your beliefs about what it means to be a woman about like what you owe to society as a woman Mm. and what society has kind of like owed you if that makes any sense Mm. so like i've just read a section that's about basically be the love interest of your own story so like we've been fed as women we've been fed this belief that you know your life is for a love story Mm -hmm. and that you will be complete when she found your you know quote other half and things like that but it's basically like no love yourself first and then if you find somebody else that can kind of that you enjoy being with that's fine but they won't they shouldn't give something to your life that you can't give yourself if it makes any sense mm-hmm. that's really cool yeah, so but it's a book about that it's really really good yeah and it took three trips to waterstones to actually get because they just didn't have it in stock because it's just selling out so oh. quickly so i mean go support bookshops but it's um also make sure you're safe mm-hmm. and it's selling out quickly <laughs> so make sure they have it in stock before you go Mm. I watched a film the other day that was directed by a woman and I can't mm. remember the name of it. It's called First Cow. First Cow. Is it English? Yeah. Well, it's American. Oh, okay, carry on. I No, I thought I was thinking of another film. Yeah, carry on. Yeah, it's... A, what is it about? It's a, a film about the they basically just steal this cow's milk to create bread to sell in this little village. And, like, they befriend the guy who owns the cow 
and like he has no idea that like he just thinks his cow's got no milk in it (laughs) and it's like set in like the 1800s like the wilderness of america kind of thing it's like this i think he's chinese man and an american they just sort of befriend each other and they want to start a little bakery Mm. together it's really sweet (laughs) that sounds so like wholesome (laughs) and nice oh it's good oh i'm gonna have to watch that first cow i'm gonna write that down oh (laughs) i say i kind of like although like i do like films that are like heavy hitting and and things like that i do just quite really like just a wholesome Mm. film that's just nice yeah good recommendation i think that's an episode i think that's an episode yeah thank you and we shall speak to you next time and spread the episode to everyone instead of spreading corona (laughs) that's good that's good yeah thank you (laughs) thank you bye